Hello world and welcome to the Alba Ibro podcast mini-series, a program that brings a global and intersectional approach to hot topics in equity, diversity, and inclusion in neuroscience. The mini-series delves deeper into the knowledge and expertise shared at Alba Ibro events at three major conferences in 2023. The events and this podcast are supported by the International Brain Research Organization, and I'm your host, Dr. Esma Bashir, the founder of Her Royal Science. For our first episode, we're coming to you from the 16th International Conference of the Society of Neuroscientists of Africa, held in Johannesburg, where ALBA and Ebro organized a mentoring workshop on leadership and collaboration with World Women in Neuroscience and the Southern African Neuroscience Society. I'm excited to be speaking with three researchers located on the African continent about mentorship and what they've learned on their journey towards being the mentors they are today. I'll be chatting with Dr. Sarah Alfarash, Dr. Royhan Polarin, and Dr. Life Gulu. Let's start with some brief introductions. Dr. Alfarash, who are you and what do you study? Um, so my name is uh, Sarah Alfarash. I am an assistant uh, professor of physiology at Faculty of Medicine, Montserrat University. Um, I'm currently working uh, in a neurodegenerative diseases where we basically work on different uh, spectrum of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease. We are trying to conduct some mice study and some translational human. And um, so far, this is it. Okay, sounds great. And uh, how about you, Dr. Fularin? Who are you and what do you study? Hi, Asma. Thank you very much for inviting me. And hello to all our listeners across the world. I'm Dr. Rayhan Falari, a neuroscientist and fellow of the African Science Literacy Network. I'm based at the Olabisian Obanjo University in Nigeria, where I lecture anatomical sciences to postgraduate and undergraduate students of various health sciences, including anatomy, medicine, nursing, and pharmacy. So I lead the Group for Biopsychiatry Research and Innovative Neuroscience, acronymed as GBRAIN, where we investigate the pathogenetic mechanisms of some neuropsychiatric disorders like or schizophrenia and ADHD, as well as some neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's using mice and drosophila models. So our intent is to understand how some uh, natural uh, compounds that have been identified as potential alternatives to currently known synthetic antipsychotics. So we want to understand how these natural compounds achieve their neuroprotective effects as well. Thank you. Awesome. And Dr. Gulu, who are you and what do you study? Thank you, Asma. Um, I am a, a neuroscience researcher who holds an academic post at Stellenbosch University as a senior lecturer. Like Dr. Rohan, I also teach um, undergraduate students, but I also supervise postgraduate students. And my research interest is translational, like Dr. Sarah, but I focus more on sexual violence. And we have a red model. And we also look at uh, humans where we visit um, a prison, uh, one of the biggest prisons in KZN, one of the provinces in South Africa. And we have interviews and now we are moving into looking at biological samples and, and uh, changes that may be common in the convicted rapists and see if we can see something similar with our red model. I'm um, passionate about mentoring and I'm really happy to be here. 
I'm happy to have you. Thank you all for sharing a little bit about your work, though I'd love to hear more about your respective projects. Today, the topic is mentorship. So I wanted to start us off by talking about what makes a good mentor. Can each of you describe the characteristics that make someone a successful mentor in your eyes? So I believe that a good mentor, after equipping him or herself with the necessary professional capabilities for the job, must be somebody that has the best vision for his mentee's career advancement and fulfillment. Mm. So he's therefore somebody that is willing to always lend guidance, while most importantly, uh, also taking cognizance of the respective circumstances that uh, that may influence his mentees' perspectives, things like their background, things they've been used to. So harnessing all of this uh, understanding around his mentees to uh, to make his uh, judgment uh, and also to offer his advice and uh, point them in the right direction. So rather than just handing down the instruction, he's a good listener uh, that uh, points them in the direction while uh, while customizing, so to speak, you know, the instructions based on things he understands around uh, his students' capabilities or around his mentee's capabilities, yep. I think there is no like a specific recipe for a good mentor, but I would say that good mentors should be really flexible. Um, the field is very dynamic, everything is changing, so maybe, you know, he needs to be really flexible, um, depending on the mentee, depending on, you know, the project, um, depending on, you know, in which stage of his student is. Mm. The mentee, by end of his journey, don't really need to be a copy of himself. I think accepting this would make uh, me, or maybe from my perspective, a good mentor. Mm, that's beautiful. How about you, Dife? What do you say makes a good mentor? Just to add on on, uh, on what uh, Dr. Sarah just said, mm. I think um, holistically also just giving honest feedback, mm. uh, being honest with your, your mentee when they are not doing something mm. um, correctly, or maybe if they are moving towards a path that is not going to necessarily lead them to their ultimate goal it's so important to give them honest feedback mm -hmm. because those can be the building blocks that they use in the future to avoid some of the mistakes that you as a mentor has made or mm -hmm. mistakes that you've seen other people uh, make mm -hmm. well each of you are mentors in slightly similar ways, funnily enough. I'm wondering if you could think of a time when you actually struggled to mentor a junior trainee or a student, if you don't mind sharing what that situation was and how you improved that situation for not only yourself, but also for the person that you were mentoring. So I've, I've had, it's actually a very recent situation. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. And I have a mentee who is um, very uh, talented, very great leader, but my my mentee kind of just struggled with keeping time overly occupied and half the time um, they would probably struggle with meeting deadlines or keeping their word. This was a big struggle because it's not easy to call somebody out 
when they already approach you and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but this is like a repeated thing. So what I did is on the last um, mishap they made, I said, okay, why don't you sit down? I want us to have an honest conversation. Mm. Do you want to reflect mm. on how you conduct yourself when it comes to your work, to your friends? Do you want to reflect on your strengths as well as your as your challenges, because I don't think, I don't like using negative words such as, as weakness, but like challenges. And I started the conversation off by actually telling the, 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 the mentee all the strong and beautiful things they have. And then I invited them to now reflect what are the threats that could make these amazing things that you have, you know, uh, become diluted or distorted or shortchange you with the progress. And I found it so effective that when you bring a mentee to reflect so much easier than when you do the job yourself and you push them to hear what you see, they do a better job in reflecting themselves and saying, actually, I, I'm at a loss here. I need to improve this. And then you ask them how, you know? Mm-hmm. So they become more responsible for their own progress than making you the one responsible to tell them how to progress. Rehan, do you have something similar in your experience as a mentor? Or do you have something completely different that came to mind when I asked the question about a challenging time mentoring someone? Oh, yeah. And I really like the point on which Lily started. Mm. In fact, with this question, I feel I should start keeping a diary now uh, because the students will not all exhibit the same attitude or disposition. You know, there will be diversity in the way they respond to mentorship and there is usually one common denominator in my observation. And that's the fact that each person is always a product of what background he has, you know, or she has, or what experiences they have undergone before coming under your mentorship. So one usually needs to hear from the students, from from these mentees, what's their perspective why do you think that what we are into now is necessary how does this mentor mentee relationship fit into that and where do you see yourself in the future so if this thing we're doing here is one of those things you you think fits into your legacy then perhaps these are the paths you need to tow you know in order to achieve that trying to hear their perspective has always been very helpful in my navigating whatever challenges arises during the mentorship um, process did you know that alba means dawn or sunrise in several latin languages it recognizes that our scientific communities are beginning to acknowledge the importance of incorporating diversity and ensuring equity in the way we deal with science ALBA was created to fight existing and persisting inequities in academia around the globe, causing the attrition of talent, particularly of researchers from underrepresented groups. Discover all of the network's activities on the ALBA website, www.alba.network. Given that ALBA is very committed to ED and I, I wanted to make sure that we discuss the extra considerations that each of you take when mentoring students who have different backgrounds than you, for instance, or different life experiences. I'll start with Sarah. Uh, what does DEI and mentorship mean to you? 
What do you do to create inclusive spaces for the individuals that you're mentoring? You can give an example, if you like, related to your own region, um, your lab based in Cairo, I believe. Um, so, so the lab is based in Mansoura, but you know ah. there is not too much difference between Cairo and Mansoura, I would assume. I think the diversity that I would really, you know, um, how to say, trying to uh, achieve in my lab or with my collaborators, mm-hmm. um, I think it is the idea of multidisciplinary, uh, you know, research. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the field of neuroscience, most of us has, you know, either medical or paramedical backgrounds uh, from science, pharmacy, biology, or medicine. We are a step behind in inclusion of, you know, students of engineering background, computer science background, uh, probably in my case, because I don't feel comfortable of supervising them because I'm not good at that. Um, Yeah. So I think this is thing uh, with also bioinformaticians that I really would like to have in my lab, Mm -hmm. but also I feel that, okay, how would I supervise them if I'm not really into the field? So um, I think this is something that I would really like to work on it in the future. Okay. How about we go to Lithe next? I'm I'm imagining that because South African society at large does mirror at times North American society in terms of class and race and ethnicity, if you have any thoughts on inclusion, especially in the space of academia. Have you noticed that labs are more diverse as the years go by and people feel like they can come from any socioeconomic background and thrive in the academic setting? Um, Yes, I think South Africa has improved a lot. Mm. Uh, If I compare it from the time I was doing my honors Mm. and to now having my own lab I think there's been a lot of improvements but I also like how how Sarah came up and said you know inclusion is not only about uh, just gender or race but it's also about discipline you're coming from mm-hmm. in our case though as you've as as you've mentioned Asma uh, that the diversity in South Africa is so huge. We have students that are coming from outside of South Africa, but from Africa, we have students that are coming outside of the continent. And then we have different religions. Then we have different races. Then we have socioeconomic backgrounds. It is so important to deal with each student. It's important to know the student's background. Where do they come from? you just jump in and say okay we're doing this with you that really plays a massive role and I think an example of inclusion that I've had to 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 adjust to would be religion Mm. with a Jewish student uh, which is not as highly practiced in South Africa Jews tend to have holidays that I didn't even know about. So I have found this like such a beautiful learning curve to understand the culture of kosher, what the kind of food they have to eat when we're having a gathering. We have to make sure that we've ordered a kosher meal. Mm. We, we have to make sure that if, for example, there is a, a certain our meeting we have to have and it falls under a certain important religious belief of one of my students Mm. we have to cancel that day 
and take another day that actually will include that particular person and not force our way and say, oh, well, you just need to deal with it. I, I think um, for me that, that that's been a big area of inclusion. Um, but, I, but I think that our lab is well diverse as we have males, females, different races, different backgrounds. Yeah. And I, I want to believe we're happy. <laughs> <laughs> One of the conversations that sometimes even I forget to include when it comes to DEI and often gets forgotten is the idea of accessibility. So whether or not you have individuals who might be disabled or neurodivergent in your lab, do you have special precautions that you try to make sure you implement to make sure that anyone with different levels of ability also can join your lab? I, w I would say that. Oh, are you asking me or Rohan? Or... Actually, anybody can answer. So yeah, how about you go first? I don't mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that is such an important point, um, Asma, because we tend to think that when we are speaking of inclusion and diversity, as long as you have every organ in your body working and your brain functional, mm -hmm. then you qualify. But I'm proud to be in an institution that um, accommodates that from the way that we've built our structures mm -hmm. to even the way that we've brought in accessibility to our facilities and um, our programs. It, it is inclusive mm -hmm. to make sure that should you have a student with special needs, they will be catered for mm -hmm. but at a personal direct level in my lab I haven't had such an experience okay so how about you Sarah or Rehan have you uh, had the experience of having to mentor someone who did have some accessibility challenges and if so what worked for you in making sure that you created an inclusive environment for that student um, so for me, it doesn't really happen um, in as a research team. Mm -hmm. I think it's more like an institutional thing um, as a faculty of medicine. Uh, but I think this is something that didn't really reach to uh, the research uh, labs. Um, it's not, you know, very competitive field. There is no, it's not very shiny field to get involved in until mm -hmm. this is stage. <laughs> Ebro aims to bring neuroscience to the world through its international career development support for neuroscientists at all career stages. Founded in 1961, Ebro represents a vibrant community of over 90,000 neuroscientists around the world. Ebro places equity and inclusion at the heart of its programs and works with partners such as the Alba Network to make neuroscience a more inclusive and equitable domain. I was wondering if we could talk about some of the mentoring initiatives that you have either in your institution or more broadly in your region. And if you can't think of anything that you've used as a resource to support your mentorship, what do you wish you had available to you? Let's start with Vite. Uh, I think we've lost Royhan, so I'll wait for him to come back, but let's continue the conversation and hopefully he'll join in the next few minutes. Okay. So we have recently started, and I'm, re I'm really excited to be a part of the team that initiated having mentorship for all the postgraduate students mm. uh, in our division. Um, so we, but at this point, we don't have enough manpower. So what we decided was that each faculty member is going to be given a certain number of students 
Uh, so maybe you'll be responsible for, for about five students as a faculty member. And then once a month or when whatever amount of time you and the students decide you want to have, you sit down and you have a conversation about their challenges mm. and anything that they're having issues with. And you then invite them that if you want to have a one-on-one, -on -one, you can um, and extend mentorship. But what we've also done is we have opened up um, peer mentoring. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know that internationally, a lot of people don't have what we call in South Africa an honors program. Most universities internationally have a four-year degree. But we have a three-year degree, and then we have a fourth year, which is another separate uh, uh, certificate, which is known as an honors degree. Mm -hmm. So the honors students are being introduced to research, and they also experience a lot of challenges. So we've turned to pair up the honors students, for example, with the master students, and then the master students and PhD students will be paired up with the faculty members. Mm -hmm. So... I find that it's an exciting program and the students have really received it very well. Um, there is a lot of movement happening towards making sure that we are visible in the space of mentoring or mentorship in, in our country, yeah. Hmm. Sarah, would you like to share anything from either your institution or more broadly in North Africa that you're aware of in the space of mentorship, something to support people who are interested in going into mentorship? So um, uh, we have an institutionally uh, the exact model uh, Lithu has been describing when it comes to undergrad and postgrad students. I think what I really want to add that we as a faculty member or as a PhD student at earlier stage of, of our life, we don't get some kind of education of how we should be doing a mentoring. Maybe it's a point that not all PhD students will be a faculty member or in the position of mentoring uh, students, but maybe the availability of these courses uh, could make things better. So we don't really need to go through, you know, like a trial and the error process when I'm mentoring some students. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Rehan, well, sorry about uh, the line getting dropped, but we'll just jump right back in. So I'll, I'll ask the question if you don't mind. So I'm wondering if you might be able to speak to any initiatives in Nigeria or in the surrounding area um, that supports mentors and people who want to become better mentors. And if there aren't any initiatives that you can speak on, what do you wish you had at your disposal? All right. Thank you. I think the matter is simply as I had Sarah discuss it. Um, usually you get to learn on the job, you learn on the drill in this kind of profession of ours. <laughs> it's not so easy to come by mentorship programs for the mentors, right? Yeah. So usually what plays out is what kind of mentorship did you as an upcoming mentor receive during your training and to what extent and how far have you gone in improving yourself in developing your mentorship skills? Uh, how well have you capacitated yourself? That's usually how it has been, such that you probably could have undergone the worst kind of training in the, in the sense that maybe you didn't receive as much mentorship as you would have desired, but you could work on yourself to ensure that you feel in the holes, you, you cover up for the gaps, and then you'll ensure that those who will be coming under your mentorship receive a much better experience. Mm. 
and uh, at the science communication hub nigeria our mission also includes uh, fostering collaborations between upcoming scientists younger scientists and established PIs amongst others mm -hmm. so this fosters a mentor mentee relationship such that a younger scientist identifies prospective mentors through our database of uh, Nigerian scientists across different uh, and diverse uh, disciplines also uh, very recently uh, I was uh, invited to represent the science communication hub Nigeria at a workshop by uh, the Nigerian Academy of Science where uh, another mentor-mentee long-term collaboration exercise was also inaugurated. Mm -hmm. So this seems to be gaining more waves and it's becoming a priority. Support programs for prospective mentors on how to become better mentors and I hope it's going to continue to be like that or get better. Become an ALBA member. It's free. You'll have access to a diverse network of neuroscientists around the globe, have the opportunity to drive initiatives as an ALBA volunteer, and participate in advocacy training workshops. I want to thank you all for sharing your wonderful perspectives. I like to end conversations with gratitude and shout outs. So I'd love to hear if you have any examples of a mentor that comes to mind who played a pivotal role in your own careers. Is there someone that you'd like to acknowledge at this time? My special shout out to Professor Thomas K. Adenawa. So he imbued in me the dedication, hard work, and the concept of diligence at work. I really enjoyed working with him. Mm. My kudos also to Dr. Philemon D. Shelley. He is another person in whom I have seen the value of always being positive, regardless of what negative factors come in. My PhD times were quite challenging. So people like him uh, as a senior colleague and then uh, people like Professor Ahmed Adidiji, a pharmacologist, were always there nudging me forward, encouraging me. Most importantly, uh, a friend, a brother, and a very great mentor uh, of mine, that's Dr. Mahmoud Bukarmeina. I want to thank them all for being part of my journey. They all remind me in one way or the other of someone I like to be. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Sarah, would you mind going next? Is there someone that has shaped you and has been a supportive mentor to you throughout your career? So uh, my journey has been a bit uh, a very long one, but uh, I'm really grateful to my PhD student uh, supervisor, Paul Henning Jensen from Aarhus University, Denmark. Uh, he taught me, you know, to, to think about the idea first rather than the cost. I mean, definitely I'm thinking about the cost now working from Egypt, but, uh, but I think it's also, you know, shaping my uh, mentality regarding, you know, let's think about idea, let's formulate it, then we will figure out, uh, next how we will cover that. Uh, he also taught me that data speaks much more loudly than anything other, and we need to get passionate about science, not passionate about uh, the publication. 
also mentoring the process because as i mentioned we don't really get too much education about how to mentor uh, it's actually continued after I'm coming back to Egypt as a postdoctoral. So uh, Mohammed Salema from American University um, in Cairo, Hilal Lashwal from EPFL. You know, now they are turning also to a collaborator, but I'm still, you know, they're still mentoring me. It's, it's completely a privilege. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, um, their support and the understanding to the nature of uh, our region, how we need to be realistic so we can uh, work smart rather than working hard. Um, I think this is something that I keep daily learning from them and in a way or another, I'm trying also to uh, you know, share um, all of them uh, with my uh, students. Thank you for sharing that, Sara. Lise, it's your turn. Is there someone that you want to shout out? Yes, definitely. Uh, my my honors are to PhD supervisor, Professor Musa Mabandla. The things that he has exposed me to with his mentoring are actually endless. But um, I'm really grateful ab about how he taught me the importance, almost like Sarah, the importance of focusing on science and not significance of data, <laughs> because sometimes it just becomes about the p-value and you lose the authenticity of, of your finding. I don't know how many people must have lost the authenticity of their finding because they were trying to force a, a p-value that is significant. He taught me the importance of having integrity and ethics. Another thing was exposing me to teaching. And he would um, tell me to set up an exam question. And when I've set up the exam question, he will sit down with me and ask, what are you trying to say here? Do you think the student is going to understand? So half the time, his, his voice still rings in my head almost seven years later. But he's one of the mentors I will always hold very, very dear in my heart because he's played a massive role in um, assisting to shape me to be the kind of person I am today when it comes to my career. Mm. I think it's so beautiful to be able to look at the past as you all are mentoring in your own ways. And I think it's remarkable as well to realize how much your mentorship styles are influenced by your own mentors. I imagine your students have already started to be influenced by your own styles and the cycle just continues. I want to take this moment to say thank you to each of you, Dr. Alparash, Dr. Falaran, and Dr. Gulu. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And for our closing remarks, I am delighted to be joined by Mathilde Mohn, a project and network manager at the Alba Network, and Dr. Kirtana Ayer, the partnerships and development manager also at the Alba Network. I'm wondering what your overall thoughts are on this lovely conversation that we've just had with our guests. First of all, I think we were so thrilled to hear all, all of those um constructive uh, ideas that our guests had about mentoring. Uh, one thing I think we can acknowledge is that being a good mentor is an extremely tough job, mm. um, especially in neuroscience uh, where, you know, the field is moving so fast. What I really enjoyed is hearing our guests talk about the fact that you needed to be flexible as a mentor. And I think that can lead to being a truly inclusive mentor, 
we've had experience um, from other speakers and Alba members telling us that sometimes uh, you have no idea uh, what the person you're mentoring is experiencing, um, what is their background, where do they come from, what is their culture, and therefore it is sometimes very hard to take the appropriate behavior. Um, Alba can help with that. Maybe Kurtana wants to tell us about this. Mm-hmm. A few of the panelists brought up the issue of mentors themselves sometimes struggling to to provide appropriate guidance or support or even constructive feedback. And this could be one of the reasons why existing mentoring programs, some of the existing mentoring programs may not be as successful or impactful. Um, And it is sometimes a struggle to have the mentee's specific needs met, given how the needs could be so different across regions um, with really context-specific factors. Um, with such as language or the socioeconomic status. Mm. And this kind of gives me a good segue into an upcoming ALBA activity, which is an online fireside chat series that we're organizing to understand what's not working in existing mentoring programs um, and also to listen to the unmet mentorship needs of diverse students and early career uh, neuroscientists. Um, we're planning to organize three sessions, one per month, starting in September. And we're also mindful of rotating time zones. So each session will be organized to the convenience of people in different regions. So we encourage you to look into the ALBA website for more information on this. All right. And that's www.alba.network. Um, another point that I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on is the way in which our audience can improve their workspaces and create inclusive workplaces if they can't necessarily attend one of your events. Is there a takeaway that you wish to impart on our listeners here today? Uh, well, that comes to a point that I wanted to address, which is that uh, we've talked about mentors, we've talked about mentees, uh, but this is always taking a very individualistic perspective. Mm. And um, I think it's also important to look at the responsibility of the institutions and the structure uh, we evolve in. And so you have a hard time being an inclusive mentor if you're not in an inclusive background and institution that gives you the means to do so. So I think, first of all, um, looking at places where they have um, undertaken um, actions that can contribute to have like a more inclusive environment um, and inclusive mentoring programs, uh, I think is important. And to that end, we have a massive uh, database of resources and best practices on the ALBA website that people can um, go have a look at. Yeah, I'm hoping that whoever's listening to this, if they have any amount of power to implement these programs on an institutional level, that they do take heed and they recognize that though DEI can look different around the world, it is often the neurotypical and the able-bodied, as well as the more privileged in our society that even gets the opportunity to consider a career in STEM academia. I do think it's also on all of us to make sure that we create spaces that are inclusive and equitable in the hopes that that will translate into diversity in everyone's working environment. 
I also really appreciate the work that Alba's been doing over the last few years to make it as easy as possible to provide support and learning opportunities for anyone who's interested in becoming the best mentors or even the best mentees possible. I completely agree with you. Um, and I think that um, doing this outreach activities that Alba is doing is also sharing different versions of what can be a good mentor uh, and an inclusive mentor. And so therefore, we've taken actions into advertising different types of role models as well, um, because everybody's uh, biased. When we tend to describe a good mentor, we uh, mostly end up imagining that person as a man, as this is the most common role models that we see out there. Uh, but Alba is really trying to show that there is diversity um, among neuroscientists. Mm -hmm. While we acknowledge that some languages across the globe are gender neutral or genderless, um, Alba would still like to emphasize the importance of being mindful of using inclusive language when referring to a mentor, uh, and that a good mentor could go by any pronoun, he, she, or they, and it's probably best to stick to a neutral pronoun as they in all contexts. I love that. I think that's something that people can even do outside of the context of academia, and I really do appreciate you mentioning that. I want to say thank you to both of you for your very insightful remarks, and I'd like to thank the audience as well for listening to the very first episode of the Alba Ibra podcast miniseries. I'm Dr. Asma Bashir, and it's been a pleasure to guide you through this conversation. This podcast is organized with support from Ibro, which is a founding member of the Alba Network, and the Alba Network aims to promote equity, diversity, and inclusion to counteract bias and fight discrimination in brain research. For more information on this podcast, visit www.alba.network. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>